Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Cloud Architects podcast. Today, we've had the pleasure of interviewing Marie-Louise Labuskachny, who goes actually by ML. So if you hear us talking to ML, we are not doing anything except what Marie-Louise actually likes to be called. And this episode is an episode full of acronym soup and i think chris we covered a lot of ground in today's episode i agree i think there's 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 a lot of kind of um conversation around just best practice security best practice um you know sequencing of of investments things like that uh which mm. i think is really really good um debunking some of the myths i think that that you have to have a lot of money to be able to have some level of security right mm -hmm. i think is something that that a lot of organizations struggle with i mean obviously everyone has a budget but yeah it doesn't mean that you have to be or are insecure if you can't or if you don't have very deep pockets um but yeah i think definitely kind of covered um you know seam uh you know why 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 it's useful we looked at what soar is and 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 are those two things mutually exclusive what are we talking about there i think those are for me those were some really good definitions you know, and, and how they potentially work together. So um, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that episode and, and just talked about a lot of just a lot of security related things. So a very, very fun conversation, Nick. Mm. I agree with that, Chris. And what we're going to hear next is the benefit of speaking to a security professional with well over 15 years of experience with large vendors, small companies, large companies, and how do we do common sense in security? So with that, enjoy the show. Hi, ML, and thank you so much for agreeing to join us on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So I'm rather excited about today's show because you do something that I'm rather passionate about myself, which is you, you get to build security products and um, you've been in the security space for a long time, which I think has got Chris rather excited as well. <laughs> However, I think one of the things that we want to celebrate is that you are who you are in terms of your profession in the, the security space, because as a, and you've just corrected me just before the show, you're not a developer, you are a creator of products and yeah. I think you are relatively rare in in your space is that fair to say um I guess it depends on what you're trying to produce there's a lot of people who produce physical products um there's a lot of people you know there's guys who produce physical kit um guys who produce pieces of software I've just spent my last nine years building um, either internet service provider products or um, security products. And all of those I've tried to make managed services. So scalable software based type of solutions um, rather than people heavy solutions. Mm -hmm. And today I think we're going to be joining an acronym soup a little bit. So I'm just warning everyone that many acronyms coming our way. However, we'll do our very best to stop the bus and just define something that we're talking about and i wanted to delve into the world of seam and saw and why we even need them and you spoke about processes and i think there's a whole rabbit hole there that we want to go down into yeah sure i mean i'm happy to explain the basics around the two and what the differences are sims are um, security incident and event management systems or information and event management system or whichever one tickles your fancy. Um, they're very good at aggregating data. So um, it seems take data from multiple sources, whether it's firewalls or whatever, or generate logs. They transform them into the same kind of data model and then they put, push them into what's effectively not to dumb it down for the SIM providers out there, but it's a big database. And then they run rules on top of this data. So they mm. can do threat hunting, they look at your network data and see if there's you know, any kind of IPs moving around your network that shouldn't be there. Mm. Um, they can apply rules, they can deduplicate. So SIM are really good at taking logs specifically and 
deduplicating data, finding threats in traffic, etc. Mm. That's mm. you know kind of what Sims are really good at. Some of them even include really good workflow technology, um, where you can kind of pass or orchestrate a process for your engineers, etc. Um, source security orchestration, automation, and remediation platforms um, sit very comfortably on top of Sims. The sores don't store logs. That's not their function. They're not made for aggregation. Um, they tend to ingest incidents. So if you're looking at technologies that generate incidents by themselves, think of email security technologies or um, PAM technologies or Microsoft, stuff like ATP and AIP, for instance. Those generate incidents, and sores are really good at sucking those incidents in through API integrations adding things to them. So threat intelligence, for instance, it allows you to do custom severity calculations, et cetera, and then you can build workflows. So you can either mm. orchestrate or automate steps or the whole thing. And it also allows you then to, through that same API integration, auto-remediate when you have the scope to do so. So it allows you to push data, first suck the data in, and then push it back to the best technology. And to me, those are, I know this is high level, um, but those are the main differences between Sims and SOAR and where their place are. So, yeah, I hope that answers the question. It, it does. I mean, it, it, I mean, even at a, at a very high level, at a very sort of basic definition, it still sounds complicated, right? And one of the things that we've talked about a fair bit on, on, on this show, actually, is, is that there's this tendency at the moment for everyone to run after things that are shiny and new, right? So, yeah. I mean, you know, we know like Sims have been around for a while in some form mm -hmm. or fashion, but, you know, really have been made popular over the last few years by certain vendors. And so everyone kind of runs to this technology. Um, I've always been a believer that in order to get the most out of the platform, you can't just throw logs at it, right? You need to be able to yeah, actually definitely. have the rules and 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 um, all of that type of stuff built on top of it. That's where the real skill is in deploying this stuff. Um, That's it. And I agree with you. To me, a system is just a system. Yeah. And most systems are good systems. People don't write bad systems on purpose. Um, most of them have, you know, really good functionality. I would say about 70% of the time, if you don't use your software right, that's where the problems start. Like everything else, a SIM or a SOAR or a firewall is just going to sit there and look at you until you do something with it. Mm. Um, and people think buying a SIM is going to solve their problems or buying a SOAR is going to solve their problems. That's, you know, you can buy a SOAR, buy a SIM, put it in, see what it does for you. If you don't have the skill to do something with your technology and look after your estate, then it's um, money in the water, really. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I don't know, guys. You know, I'm seeing all this marketing and, and there's lots of vendors I can pick on here. And they say, just give us your logs. Give us your logs, folks. Put them in and and we're going to do magic with them. We, we, we can pick on Microsoft know. for that, right? Because well, it's, yeah. it's built into Azure, right? So it's yes. there. So it'll know that Chris generated an Ethernet packet on a Wednesday afternoon when the sunlight was just so. And based on the email that he received something happens and are we saying that that's actually not as easy as that that i can just i can right click new deploy seam add a bunch of logs stand back and I, i'm not going to get the marketing here's my opinion on why vendors especially sim vendors especially cloud-based sim vendors want to say to people that give me everything i'll just make it magically play to some extent, it might be true. There might be a lot of intelligence built into their platforms yeah. that are plug and play. But they encourage people to push logs into Sims because of hosting and mm. the cost that comes with the hosting of the amount of data. Mm. So by pushing your clients to say, just put all your logs in here. If you put everything in, we're going to look after you. You're, the product of that is more hosting. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I think people should be aware of that. I think all systems have the capability to have some plug and play things. But I mean, mm. I've worked on multiple sores. They all, they all require human interaction. Mm. They can say to you, 
these pre-built playbooks, they all have pre-built playbooks. You mm. still have to log on to the system, make it talk to a base technology, sometimes expand on the integration to make it do the things that you want to do, because most of the standard integrations into stuff like source comes with a couple of functions on an API. Mostly mm -hmm. what you want to do with it is not necessarily in that list of three or four things that they've got mm -hmm. in there. So you have to expand on the integration and then you have to put together your playbook or you can use their playbooks. You know, maybe it comes with tens of use cases that you can use. But I mean, when's the last time you walked into a client and he said, no, just want the stock standard. All of them have um, bespoke requirements when it comes to severity. They have bespoke ITSM systems that you need to integrate with. They all have their own kind of, I want to follow NIST. I want to do CIS. I want to do, you know, best practice only of the vendor. Mm. Um, I think all of those require human interaction at this stage. Now, whether technology will get to the point where we don't need humans anymore, who knows? Let's hope. Um, but while that is still in progress, you need a, p a person who knows what he's doing to log on to either your SIM or your SOAR to make it play appropriately. And I'm sorry, but there's no way around that at the moment. That, that's fair. And I think the kind of the reason I, I brought that up, I, I think as well, is because I've, I've seen and heard customers say, well, you know what, in Azure, and I'm going to pick keep picking on Azure, you know, and, and on Sentinel, uh, it's already, it's already there. We've already just enabled mm -hmm. it and it's working. Mm -hmm. But hang on, just because you have something deployed doesn't mean it's actually adding value to your business, right? Um, and so the question becomes, well, can I just have like my, um, you know, my messaging person, um, guy or gal, just double duty and look after my, my, my Sentinel? It's like, well, no, you can't because those are specialist. It's a specialist skill um, mm. that you really need to get someone who knows what they're doing. It doesn't, you don't have to necessarily hire, a, you know, an FTE to do that. Maybe you need to look at a managed service or some organization or some consultant or someone who actually does this for a living because otherwise you're not going to get any value out of it, right? You may I mean, think it's cool, but... Yeah. And I mean, even if, you know, even if there was some magical semen saw out there to set itself up, set itself up and did it all itself, you still need the people on the other side who's going to pick mm -hmm. up the actual ticket, mm -hmm. Right, there's no getting away from people entirely because you yeah. need engineers to go and fix the problems. Soros allow you to auto remediate to some extent, but a lot of that is curbed by clients not liking auto remediation yet. Mm -hmm. you know, it's a new thing, clients have to get comfortable with it. They still want a human to look at the thing before you kind of go block a, a URL. Um, so on both sides, both the setting up and maintaining and building on these technologies, as well as the picking up of tickets, mm. there is no getting away from the humans at the moment. Yeah, that's fair. So definitely, and there are different skill sets too, right? Like the, yeah. the, the business as usual operational maintenance side of this requires a different type of, of, of skill set to someone who's coming in, gathering and understanding the requirements and building out the solution to do the things, the bespoke things, as you said, that yeah. the customer needs. Um, always looking to achieve, right? And, and in, in many cases too, Nick and I know this well, and I'm sure you have stories too, customers don't always know what they need, right? They oh, have an idea or yeah. perhaps they have some sort of regulatory, regulatory issue or some compliance thing that is kind of forcing them down a particular path, but they don't mm. necessarily mm. understand it themselves, right? So being able I mean, to kind of, yeah. Yeah, to kind of point them in the right direction, I guess, to, you know, so there's two scenarios there. One, I think it's unfair of us to expect to walk into a client and they know what they want, um, mm -hmm. especially if their core business isn't security, right? Mm -hmm. These clients have big companies that focus on, I don't know, maybe it's a car manufacturer. Their life is building cars. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not their core business to do security. Um, so to expect them to know the ins and outs of security. That's why they pay other people to look after their security because it's not their core business and it's not the thing that makes their revenue go up. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I always try to be lenient with clients if they don't, you know, know the ins and outs of the, their security. I mean, from a regulatory perspective, there is a requirement um, on executives and companies to at least know the basics and what's going on, of course. Um, but I don't fault clients for not knowing all the details because mm. there are people who specialize in it and it's not their core business and it's not fair to expect them to make it their core business. Um, I think, though, there's a difference between 
acknowledging that you need something, but not quite yeah. understanding what you need yeah, yeah. versus just going, well, we got this. No, sure. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I mean, that's the human race for you, though. Yeah. Um, it's not a kind of business or security humans. specific things. You get people who, who think, you know, um, they're not good at something, they're going to ask the experts. Mm. And then you get other people who think, yeah, I can Google it and spin up my own firewall, see how it goes. And mm. both of those will be present in clients. Yeah, that's fair. So I'm I'm a bit disappointed. You know, all this this marketing bump has uh, been debunked, and I was <clears throat> in a happy bubble, believing that my security vendor who promised me that everything would just go away or be magically uncovered. And so let's talk about a magically uncover scenario. And uh, we had a. Amazing interview in our last episode with Amit, and Amit spent a good five months finding and documenting a vulnerability, which we now know as the auto discover leak. But you know, I've I've got seam and I've got saw, and I may even have someone who I pay good money to outsourced to look at this thing. So. You know, if there's something that's unknown or if it's zero day, are Seam and Saw going to protect me? Not necessarily because zero day is unknown, right? By definition, the guys don't know what to look for. So if it's a, a known vulnerability, um, there's ways that you can use different security technologies to try and protect yourself. Mm. If it's unknown then somebody is going to get hit first and the rest will catch up. So, I mean, it's like asking um, it's asking to know the future. There's a reason why it's called an unknown attack. It's because people don't know about it or an unknown vulnerability. People haven't found it yet. Or, like I said, if it's a vulnerability that exists and it's, there's just no patch available, there are technologies that you can implement to try and protect you from that. Um, but yeah, at the base, I think there are security attacks that will come in future that we won't know about like they do now. And you can have everything you want in it and you won't know until it gets there. And sometimes you're going to be the first one hit and then everybody else will know and then they'll protect themselves. And somebody has to be the first kind of um, victim, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's how they get found generally. Or good people who do the testing. Like, um, who was the guy that you mentioned? Amit. Yeah. Yeah, fair yes. enough. I, I think, so, something you mentioned at the, kind of, just before we started the show, actually, was was that, you know, um, technology doesn't solve or fix every problem, right? Like, uh, and I think this is one of those really interesting situations, too, where, um, you know, I had the benefit of, of working for a managed services security provider, MSSP previously. And, and I remember when we would have these monthly kind of brief calls with customers, right? Many times I was just there as a spectator. Um, but what was interesting is that like when we, when we look at the incidents found, most of the things, there was a, a large majority of them came from the security engineers basically freestyling, right? Like they, they noticed something that wasn't picked up by a particular rule or, or, mm. or whatever. They noticed something that looked peculiar and then they took the time to go and investigate that yeah. and, and sort of hunt on their own and they uncovered something, right? And, yeah. and so, you know, it's a good point is, you know, there has to be precedent for something. Like if something, you know, someone's going to get hit first and depending yeah. on how mature that, in, that organization is, they may actually realize they're getting hit when it happens or they may only pick up on it after the fact. Keep in mind, you know, Nicholas, I don't want to be a naysayer when it comes to security technologies. I think there's, there's a reason why we're all in this business. Hmm. A lot of these technologies are, most of them are really good tech, and hmm. they will protect you against the 98% of known things out there. Hmm. And that's why people invest in these technologies, because they're, you know, they're good at securing um internet uh, um, network traffic or they're good at securing um, access into systems or they're mm -hmm. good at securing um, communications you know that's why people invest because you want to be able to at least protect yourself against known things 
the other 2%, which we just spoke about, you know, will remain unknown until we get there um, or until they're found. But I do think there is, you know, I don't want to rag on security technologies um, in general because they've got their place for a reason. It's a big industry. Um, and most of them are really good at protecting you against, you know, known things that are out there. The one thing that I can mention on that is when you buy a car, for instance, you buy a car, but you take it back every so so often to get serviced. And it's much the same with um, security technologies, right, that you implement into your organization. One of the things we like doing and one of the things that SOARs are very good at is um, compliance. So, I mean, we spoke about it earlier, is do you check the compliance of the security controls that you have in place? Because Mm. you can't just put them in place and leave them for the next five years. Um, generally, because you adjust them as you go. So if you look at MSSPs, they spend a lot of time in their jobs as managed service providers doing things on firewalls, for instance. Mm -hmm. You'll get an engineer. So the client would log a ticket to say, please open this port. I'm trying to test the thing. Mm. So the engineer would go and you know, log onto the firewall and open the port or you know, mm. make whatever adjustment is that the client's asked for. The problem comes in is when the client doesn't then log the ticket back, for instance, to say, go and close it again. So now it remains mm. open. Mm. What I feel is really important for people to understand is you have to regularly check the mm-hmm. compliance of your configuration on whatever the technology is it is that you're using. Because mm. also, you know, the vendors will turn around if there's a breach and they're going to first look at that config and the policies that you have and say, oh, but it wasn't configured correctly. That's why it got breached. Mm. So for them, you know, it's also kind of a fail-safe because they're going to say, we gave you all the policies you needed to protect yourself. You or the third party that looks after this technology left a hole in it. Mm. It's not because we Mm. made the hole. We gave you the thing to block the hole, but you you made the hole and now you've left it open. Mm. Um, So I think on the one side, it's the vendors have kind of like a, a fallback to say, but you were responsible for the configuration. Mm. We've given you all the tools you needed to secure yourself. You didn't configure it either correctly or it was correct, but then you opened something and you left it open. Um, and on the other side, um, I just think it's good practice to, you know, once a week or once a day or once a month, check that whatever you have in your estate is configured to best practice and it stays that way. That's a, I mean, that's, I think that's super sound advice, but I think uh, to me, it goes even a little deeper than that, right? The config management side, I think is vitally important, mm-hmm. but then there's also the security control side, like the stuff that you're pr- protecting um, against or wanting to protect like the your yeah. security controls. You know, I've done projects for customers where I've, you know, uh, and I can't mention the name, but very, very large company had to do, uh, they were looking and this was, you know, probably man, could have been 10 years ago now, looking to start using um, public cloud. And I had to go and review their security uh, controls paper for like from InfoSec to make mm-hmm. sure that what they wanted to do could be, you know, could, could be compliant with, with, with all these controls. All of these controls were compliant with the cloud technologies they were looking to use. And man, there was stuff in there that I was like, who even uses this stuff? Like, how do we, you know, so they hadn't updated it in many years. Right yeah. is the is is basically it, and so I think like it's also important to understand that the threats, the threat landscape is changing. The things that you think you need to protect against constantly changes, yeah. and you need so you need to keep up with that as well mm. as making sure and that the, the best practices change. Right. Yeah. So the vendors actually change their own best practices. You know, so mm. you buy a certain technology firewall in January. In October that year, they've changed their best practices because mm. they've also adjusted to new threats mm. out there, yep. mm. which means you're supposed to go and adjust that check where you're doing mm. your best practice against. You have to go update your best practice. So it's not just the config that needs mm. the updating. It's actually also the best practices that need to be kept up to date. So having a piece of paper with a, a best practice um, on it that's static and it's mm. not renewable or updatable um, is definitely one way to go, but it's just going to take much longer mm. yep and it's just like we expect features in the tools we use you know weekly now right like microsoft especially yeah. has set this precedent that like i'm going to get new stuff all the time well that's that's a cool kind of benefit of the, the the world that we live in now the drawback is 
you need to be on top of all of the other things that are also changing, right? The threats that are changing, all of these things are also changing. We're not no longer in this place where we have every four years we're getting a new service pack or what have you, mm. right? As, yeah. as Tony says, the Tony Redmond said, the heyday of service packs. Like we're not getting that anymore. Like it, yeah. things, we, we reap the benefits of constant updates, but unfortunately, it mm. does come with a drawback of having to stay on top of, of all of that stuff. So, I mean, just from like the software side, every time somebody releases a new feature, if you've got that integrated into the rest of your stack, you have to go check that everything's mm -hmm. still sound, right? You can't just upgrade willy-nilly. Um, one piece of your security estate when it's stitched into the rest of the stuff mm, because mm, mm. those integrations might break because one vendor did update um, yep. or released a, a new feature. Mm. So, yes, you're right. It all needs some constant kind of looking after. Karen, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this all sounds really cool and it sounds like there's a really cool technology out there, right, that can help um, organizations with all of these kind of threats and things. But Whenever we kind of get into this, and, and you know, I talked about the people side of this as well. Folks go, well, that sounds expensive, and like mm. I'm not, you know, I'm not a hundred thousand seat organization. Yeah, you know, can I still? Is there still something for me if I'm, you know, I'm three hundred users or I'm one hundred fifty folks, and we, we, you know, we're an agri company or we, we make tires, and we really don't like you said, like our business is not yeah. anything to do with tech, um, but does the investment here mean that these types of things are out of reach for smaller orgs mm. as well? Or is there like a, would you say a minimum set of things that every organization should be looking to implement? Listen, I don't want to prescribe on minimum things that people have to have um, yeah. just because it's personal choice. So for some people, you know, they'll have an engineer, maybe they've got a security engineer and he, he you know, he advises his organization as, as long as we've got a firewall, you know, we can mm -hmm. cover the basic kind of thing. So, I mean, it's not my place to prescribe minimum technologies or controls that have to be um, in an organization and what those should be. What I do think, though, is um, clients, a lot of enterprises these days, not big ones, but they have at least one or two IT guys um, that dabble in their security bits, right? I've seen mm. that a lot. Especially in our region, we get a lot of clients who have, um, you know, they might be a car manufacturer, but they'll have their security guys. You know, it might be three engineers and, you know, they're not a full-time MSSP, but they have employed the people and the people are there. Um, if you can, if they've got some technologies in place and you can sweat those technologies or implement something like automation on top of that, that's not expensive. So you're not asking people. So one of the things that we do is we don't resell SOAR technologies. We actually don't resell any technologies mm. um, at all or any kit <laughs> for that matter. Um, we sell automations um, and those, because it's software, um, they become price appropriate for our market um, and especially smaller enterprises where it's not their main focus. They don't have millions to go and invest in either engineers or developers mm -hmm. or kind of security technologies. Um, when we build them certain automations, one, it lifts some of the heavy lifting of their three or four engineers that they currently employ. Um, and two, it just helps them kind of remediate threats a bit quicker than mm. the four guys or the five guys that they have, could, you know, kind of do looking after multiple things. I don't want to prescribe, you know, I think we all have some kind of, I don't know if you guys have an opinion in terms of what people should have. I think email security is particularly important because I've yet these days to find a, a business that doesn't use email. Mm. I think we're all now there. <laughs> Like everybody has email, I think we can all accept that. Um, you know, at a very basic, you should have 0365 or, you know, some kind of security, mime class. I don't care what the tech is, but you mm. should be protecting mm. um, your emails because I think at a base, everybody has email. Mm. Um, and if you do it right, it can be a cost-effective thing to protect. So I think people should also start with protecting what they've, you know, kind of implementing the basics so that you can protect what you've got. And I think universally, if you look at um, an email and then the other thing is firewalls. I know I'm keeping it really basic here, guys, but every if you want to have email, you have to have internet. 
if you've got internet, you need a firewall to look after it. Mm, if you mm. have email, have something to look after the email. And if even if it's just those two to start off with, at least you're protecting the mm. two bits that you've got. And then after that, you can grow your business. You can, you know, go after compliance. You can store logs for six months or whatever the requirements are um, mm. in terms of some of the regulations. Um, but I do think at the base, the two things you should have if you're an organization, if you've got the internet and you're trying to send the email, at least secure those two things. Mm. I, I am going to pick on Chris's all-time <laughs> favorite soapbox. Oh, here we go. Here we go. And it's around identity, right? Because yeah. you, you go to cloud and mm -hmm. you put any workload in cloud like, like email and all of a sudden your attack surface increases. So you may put something in front of your mail that precludes you from, mm -hmm. say, a phishing attack. Yeah. But that's not going to protect you from a password spray attack sure. where now your attack services are exponentially larger and off radar so that that nice beautiful firewall that you've got ticking in the corner is doing nothing yeah. for it i uh, would say i mean chris go for it no it's no, no. Box. oh yeah no no i was gonna it's funny because as nick, as nick said that i i thought well hang on now i've got two that i <laughs> that i'm gonna kind of straddle let's <laughs> right the first one is uh multi-factor off um please yeah. use it and Me the second too. one, and it's built in. Yes, exactly. There's no excuse anymore, right? It's free. People just go and click the button, put it on. You're halfway there. There you go. And the other thing is update your stuff. <laughs> Please update your stuff. Um, I'm, I, you know, I've been. This year has been very interesting for me because one of the things I've been doing a lot of is decommissioning old Exchange servers for customers, uh, uh, because not because ex there's any issue with Exchange. In fact. Most customers still love Exchange 2010. I mean, we love Exchange 2010, right? It works. But it run, it's running on server 2008. Yes. <laughs> Almost always, right? And it's like, come on, guys, you've got to get rid of server 2008 in your environment. So let's let's move this along. So, the, the, you know, those are, those, those are my every every episode soapboxes. I think we need to, like, make a little jingle or something about this, Nick, where we just, you know, we get Warren to rap for us or something and mm -hmm. just, you know, enable MFA and update your stuff. I am, listen, I have to, I'm definitely with you on MFA. It's built in these days. There's mm -hmm. no excuse not to have MFA. Mm. Um, just implement MFA. That'll get you far. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, when it comes to updating your stuff, entirely agree with you. You know, when I look after my software environment, I'm never more than two versions behind. As a rule, don't go there. Don't get behind people. It's a bad idea. And secondly, mm. run it in your dev environment for a week. Don't just go upgrade your production because you never know what's going to happen. Run it in dev for a week, make sure it's stable, test it, mm. and then take it to production. But on the other hand, the one thing that I have a lot of sympathy for the implementation side is, um, you know, if you look at something like vulnerability patching, keeping software up to date mm. and adhering to business change times and making sure that production instances of factories, for instance, if you look at OT security, don't go down. Or, you know, upgrading things is very important, but it's also getting increasingly harder because mm. as we move into a more automated world, because mm. they're all stitched together, you touch the one and you want to go and upgrade it, and it has a dip, so it goes on and off. What are you affecting? Because now mm. it's all, you know, it's stitched into other systems, for instance. So... I do think the job of maintaining the cycle of upgrades with all the technologies in your company is getting a lot harder mm. because you need downtime. You need, mm. um, you know, change control to be approved before you can go and just upgrade stuff. You need to test it before you can do it in production. I mean, that's just good practice. So now you're doing it twice. Then you have to probably do it after hours. So now you're paying engineers to be there after hours, right? So that costs mm. more money. Mm. I do think... Yes, it's good to keep everything on the latest, you know, or at least not further than two versions back. Um, but I do think it's also a really hard job these days mm. just to find the time and get the permission to keep um, doing upgrades, especially at the rate they're coming out. Mm. Yes, I definitely, I definitely concede that point, right? That it is, it's easier. It's easy for me here. I only ever have to worry about like five PTs, right? To to say keep stuff up to date. Um, and I, I definitely get it. I, I, um, I, I did some, okay. Yeah. 
No, I feel like for the MSSPs, you know, yeah. they have a lot of clients who they have to get the permission from. Mm -hmm. You know, if you go touch a client's um, software, do an upgrade, um, and he didn't give you a change window that he approved, then you're in big trouble. So a lot of the time, you know, people look at MSSPs um, or engineers even within an organization. So why was it not patched? Mm. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of the time it's business decisions because they couldn't afford for the downtime or they didn't approve the change. So many years ago, I was going to tell the story. Many years ago, I did some, uh, some consulting for a retail customer back in Australia. And there were like entire projects on hold because they had Windows NT4 still left in the environment. Now I'm talking mm. 2012, 2013 timeframe. They still had Windows NT4 in the environment, right? And the reason was uh, at the checkout, they had scales that weigh produce. So like if you buy broccoli, they'll weigh the broccoli and just charge you for the weight, right? Those scales, the software that governed those scales only ran on NT4. The vendor that made the software was no longer in business. And literally like the impact of upgrading, getting rid of NT4 was they had to go around all of this, every single store and, and rework the scale solution, which was built into the ERP, you know. Yeah, and I mean, so, that becomes a cost because, you know, yeah. depending on how old the tech was on the scale solution, you'd have yeah. to send someone maybe to the store to go run an update on the little yeah. scales in the stores. And then it just, you know, the company has to consider the budget. How much is this upgrade going to cost yeah. me? And I think they avoid it then. Yeah, and I, I so so I definitely concede it's easier said than done. But I also think that yeah, the longer cool. you hold on to that technical debt of that type of stuff, the worse it's going to get. Yeah, sure. Right. And you are um, um, increasing sorry. your own problems. Hundred uh, percent. Nick, you look like you had something burning to say. Uh, you know, I'm I'm hearing you guys. However, Nick looks unsatisfied. <laughs> I am because you know I'm I'm still sitting with with these marketing promises and and I just seeing them evaporate and look I love a good promise and it it, it builds hope and what I'm sitting with is dashed hope and not necessarily having a good place to start and I don't want to say that the people listening to our show necessarily start from nothing uh, I think a lot of people live in the world of having something and they're having something that's relatively mature and what we as an industry over the last 10 years have been educated in is what do we do about the two percent so we know that we don't run with scissors we wash our hands before eating we do all the the common sense things but i think it's the two percent that are the great unknown and very few people outside of MSSPs or customers large enough to know what a red team and a blue team are would even understand why threat hunting is required in an environment. And the issue that we ha have is that after Forrester published Zero Trust and we live in a world where, at least we like to say so, that we assume breach we actually don't know what to do with that. And I could go ahead and install Elastic and it's free and I shovel my logs into it. But unless I know how to threat hunt, I actually don't know where to go or how to get any benefit out of that or even an expensive technology that I've licensed. And I might be good for the 98%, but what do I do with the 2%? And I think what we're looking for there is what is a good place to start and mm. how vulnerable are we actually, except that that 2% could be that crypto virus that could take your business down. Or if you are a particular nation state, a, a virus that could cripple your nuclear reactors, right? So, so I think the question that I have in my mind here is, is, we, you know, we started talking a little bit about Seam and Soar and, and how, you know, uh, Soar kind of complements or works, sits on top of Seam. If I'm, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm walking into an organization and, and, and um, you know, we're going to start a, a, a program where we're going to actually start really focusing on security here. Uh, ML, what would your, like, 
and, and not to prescribe technology, but just from a from a process perspective, what sort of things should I be looking at, right? So we've talked. So I've got a firewall in place, and I have my my message security stuff going. Uh, yeah. Is is seem the next step for me? Do I need saw first and then seem? Do I need to look at like EDR? Um, all those acronyms that we, we we know and love. Like, can, can you help me with like a like a like my phased approach? What what makes most sense for the ninety eight percent of businesses? Because as Nick mentioned, you know, there's always going to be those who have very unique re, uh, requirements, and it's hard mm-hmm. to prescribe things to everyone. If I put it this way, um, you don't need a sim to have a sword. You don't need a sword to have a sim. Okay. Okay, so they can live independently of each other. If you have both, they work nicely because um, they can be a cost saving. So because you've got a sword that has lots of direct integrations into technologies that um, create incidents and construct them in, you can then um, pump less logs into your sim to create mm. incidents, right? So... That way you can keep the hosting of your SIM for the things that um, your SIM are really good at. Instead of trying to bump everything in the SIM to make it do, you know, kind of generate incidents out of all of your logs, mm-hmm. use the, the functionality in the other base technologies. If your email controller technology is already generating an incident when something dodgy is in your emails, mm-hmm. then use that instead mm-hmm. of pumping all your email logs into your SIM. Use the SIM for when it's appropriate and use a SOAR for when it's appropriate to suck it in directly. That will be a cost saving on your SIM side in terms of the kind of hosting space that you need to do that. Um, it will allow you to react a lot quicker from a SOAR perspective. Um, I think EDR at this stage from my experience are still very expensive solutions. Um, and I don't know if we're there yet um, with especially in our market, with people being able to afford those. Um, it's still a, a kind of like a technology that is not um, as within budget as something like antivirus, for instance. I mean, I guess maybe it's just how innovation works. Um, the stuff that's been around for a long time becomes cheaper. And the newer technologies start out expensive. Mm. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say that every kind of company needs an EDR solution. Um, mm. They are not necessarily um, in everybody's budget cycle. Um, they're very important if you can afford it. Might as well have one. It's good. You know, it's always it's good to implement good technology to look after your security estate. But I'm acutely aware of the fact that people have to work within budget. Um, but yeah, I hope that answers your questions when it comes to sword and sim. I think they can live independently of each other. And I think when you have both, you can use them very nicely together. Mm. Mm. I think that's so, a good way to summarize it. I, you know, the... Sorry. No, go ahead, man. So I, I wanted to talk about you for a second, ML, because you are doing the brave thing and have become an entrepreneur. And you've created a security-focused company that does automations. And that has had to be a, a difficult step where you launch out of the, the corporate space into entrepreneurism. Yeah, listen, it's been a wild ride, to be honest. You learn a lot of things, um, you know, and you work in... Firstly, it's not just me. I've got a, a great business partner called Sony Watt, um, who is my partner and my co-founder in this business. Um, and secondly, yeah, it's been, you know, it's been a learning curve. When you spend a lot of time in corporate, there's somebody else doing things, right? Somebody fixes printers. Somebody does finance. Somebody makes sure there's coffee in the office. You know, there's, um, when, you start, when you start a new business, you are it. Yes, you do everything. You. And coffee is um, very important. For, yeah. for anything, right? So. And we have found that in you know in in a startup, you're if the printer breaks, you're gonna fix it. Just because you know you have to be able to um, to run your entire little business by yourself. Mm. Um, mm. So you learn a lot, but it's been it's been a great experience. Um, 
we we decided to go after a very niche market, um, specifically for our region, for Mia. Um, like I've said, in their nature as new technology, um, some of the technologies are expensive for our market. Hmm. Sora as a service um, kind of automations, the way we sell them, we make them affordable. So people can, can get access to automated responses or orchestrated processes when it comes to security, but they can buy them as monthly recurring services. So there's no big CapEx up front. There's no having to invest in your Python slash security engineer to go build on your SOAR, mm -hmm. for instance. Um, because one, there's a massive skill shortage here um, in MIA when it comes to, I don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but definitely um, in our region, you know, there aren't too many people running around who have the required skill set to build on SIMs, never mind SOARs. I mean, we have, in general, we've got a skills problem. Um, so we found that there's a very niche market um, that we're going after where we can sell software as a service or platform as a service um, when it comes to automations and orchestrations that can help enterprises um, when it comes to doing some of the heavy lifting in their mm. organizations and sweating their current assets. And then also um, guys like ISPs who look after volumes of securities controls. Um, we, I mean, we have a lot of ISPs in South Africa specifically. Um, and they look after, you know, you get ISPs who look after a thousand firewalls on behalf of their clients because they sell them the connectivity and then they pop the, the firewall on top. Mm. Um, mm. And for them, you know, it's a really, it's really a cost saving on their side because if you can automate the compliance runs and the best practice and the health checks on these mm. thousand firewalls, then the engineering pool can spend their time on other things um, mm. and not on kind of checking whether or not every morning the firewall is still compliant. Mm. So those are the markets we go after and we've been able to do it at a price point that caters for more than the, the top 100 enterprises in our region. Um, and I think, you know, that's mainly because it's a software as a service. We're not um, throwing people at, at the problem. Mm. We're using what the guys have in-house if they've got engineers, we'll send it to their engineers. If they've got an ITSM system in place, we'll happily send the tickets and we'll do the integration. If they've got a third party looking after their security incidents, we'll send it to their third party. Um, that's the great power of, of software, right? Is it mm. allows you to do many things and integrate yes. with, with anything that has API. And I do think it's a, you know, because there's no CapEx investment um, or skills investments for a client, this is a, a good kind of um, price fit. I love the fact that you are the, um, and I'm going to un unashamedly pronounce you as the the chief nerd of your organization, and even your your email address reflects that. Yes, um, I always, when I worked in corporate, I always tried to convince whoever my boss at the time was that the only title I ever wanted was wizard. Um, <laughs> so when I finally got to start my own business. Um, Everybody got to pick their own alias, um, and I'm wizard at port 443. So that has worked well for me. At least that one thing has worked out well. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So we, we're coming up to um, um, the, the, the new Matrix movie sometime later this year, and um, so I know what you're going to be watching. Yeah. No, listen, I'm a big fan there. I'm not going to deny it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. You know, it's not the security is such a such a nice industry to be in. There's so many new things. It's ever changing. It's ninety nine percent technology based. I mean, if you if you look at the amount of new new security technology coming out, it's astounding. It keeps it really interesting. You know, if you go back in the day and you look at um, finance systems, I mean. They just don't evolve at the pace that security software and technology does. Um, mm. And it's because security is required to, because the, the threats keep coming and they keep changing, right? Um, I really enjoy the space. I think it's, you know, it's exciting space to build in. I like building things. So the fact that everything changes every so often keeps it, keeps it interesting. 
So before we let you go, we want to give you the opportunity to let you plug whatever it is that you would like to plug. And I know that you, or what our listeners don't know, but what we know is that you you despise social media. So uh, I think it's going to be an interesting challenge to give to you. What would you like to plug? Firstly, I've no idea what plug means. <laughs> Promote. Uh, um, oh, obviously. Americanism. Obviously. I'm going to blame Chris for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> listen maybe it's because i don't social media and that's why i don't know what plug means um i guess in terms of taking the opportunity that's right in front of me that you've kindly afforded me um port 443 has a linkedin page that you can find um and port 443 has a website port 443.co.za our contact information is on the website and on the linkedin page um i think i've kind of bought stroked what we do um, mm. and the market that we go after. We're not reselling any kits or licenses. We're definitely not picking up your incidents, but we are offering um, cost-effective automation orchestration capabilities within our region. Very stunning. We'll include those in the uh, show notes. Mm. And I'd like to reserve the right to um, get your nerd commentary on future things that arise. I think with the amount of security incidents and breaches and zero days that are coming to light of day, we'd love to have you on again on the show as at least a commenting guest <laughs> to uh, to help us unpick some of this. Yeah, listen, I'll happily do what I can to contribute. <laughs> Fantastic. It's been very nice meeting with you guys. Yeah, Likewise. thank you for making the time. Really appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoyed putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arc.